All right, so I'm going to just open up with a question. Um, where do you guys find your hope? Where do you find your hope? It's a crazy world out there. It doesn't take too long scrolling on your news app or watching TV or on social media to realize it's, it's broken. We live in a broken world and people's lives are being shaken to the core. And so in the day-to-day -day activities, in the present craziness of your day, where do you find your hope? I think a lot of the world finds their hope in, you know, security, you know, money, retirement, their career, future plans. Others, maybe it's their, you know, hope in a, in a set of ideas or a particular political movement or, or an idea of how they think the world should be. I think for some of us, we know, we find our hope in our morning cup of coffee. Can I get an amen? Right, we just need that coffee. Whether it's, you know, Folgers, Keurig, or Starbucks, we're like, I need that. There's a little bit of hope in that for me. Some of you guys, it's just getting through the day. You're just like waiting for the end of the day so you can get home and catch up on whatever show you're watching or, you know, jump in the water or jump back into football season. Who's ready for football? Oh, yeah, go Raiders. What? No. Oh, nobody cheered. Oh, man. All right. That's cool. I think I just made some enemies there. That's right. Jesus said, love your enemies. We're good. Um, some of you guys place your hope. Parents, we place, sometimes place our hope in that, like, one, maybe two hours of quiet and alone time without, like, grubby little hands touching you or, like, the endless stream of noise. I don't know. They just, they're just noisemakers. It's crazy. Um, you know, some of you guys, it's the weekend plans. Like, if I can just get through this week, my hope is in the weekend, right? And so we all have a place we put our hope you know, some, some of you guys bigger, it's, it's getting that job you applied for or getting into that school. But what God wants to do for us today is he wants to ground us in a hope unshakable. A hope that stands the test of time. A hope eternal that if everything just previously mentioned were to fall away, this hope would stand and it would be enough. So if you hang with me today, not only will we see one of God's greatest promises and be given a hope immovable... Or that God is working things for our good, but we'll see that that good might not be what we think. So you guys ready? Yeah? Okay, let's do it. Look down with me, 8, 28 through 30. Romans 8, 28 through 30, it says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and just an opportunity to hear from you. To look into your word, to read of your promises, to read of your faithfulness and be encouraged in our love and in our faith in you. And we pray that this morning you would fill each one of us afresh with your spirit. Give us spiritual eyes to see what you would have us see and ears to hear what you would have us hear. Lord, we pray that you would transform us from the inside out and you would put our feet upon the rock of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first point is God is working in and through your life. Romans 8, 28. All right. So we're just going to address the elephant in the room. This verse is huge. 
Like, this is a huge verse. Like, Romans 8, 28, like, this is one of those verses that's, like, probably on some of y'all's wall. You know, you got that, like, plastered on your wall. That's cool. No, I think it's a great verse. I love that verse. Some of you guys, you know, maybe you've seen the bumper sticker or you got it, like, embroidered on a pillow or whatever. Um, if you got tattoos, some of you guys might even have the tattoo, Romans 8, 28. I'm not endorsing it. I just, I think it's cool. Um, if you, if you, does anybody have a Romans 8, 28 tattoo in here? Raise your hand. I'll give you a, a church shirt and a sticker. Put the Sharpies away. I can tell if it's real. No? Okay. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's just one of those verses, right? It's well known that even unbelievers most likely have, have heard parts of it. All things work together for good, right? Like they would know it. It ends up in movies, you know, on TV and shows. It's, it's probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, we love it. We quote it all the time. We'll use it in our own little day-to-day -day stuff, right? You'll be in, uh, you know, just driving and you're in traffic, right? Like the one-lane roads. Thank you, Hawaii, right? The one-lane roads and the slowest person is in front of you and they pull off the road and you're like, whoo, all good things work together for the good of those who love God, right? You're like, yes. And we'll just throw that verse out. It works. It works. I'm not saying it doesn't work. Um, you know, maybe your, your football team is not the Raiders and your team's just not good. And uh, they win a game and you're like, oh, you know, all good things work together for the good of those who love God. Like you're stoked. Some of you guys are hoping for that this afternoon. Um, you know, some of you, you know, there's times when maybe you'll be in an argument with your spouse. Not that you guys argue in here, of course, marriages, we don't argue. But just, just pretend that you're arguing with your spouse or uh, you're maybe like debating with your coworker or a friend over something. And you guys are just kind of going back and you're just like, man, I know I'm right. And you guys are kind of going back and forth. And then there's that moment where you're right. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like in under your breath, you're like, yeah, all good things work together for the good of those who love God. You know, you're like, that's me. I'm right. Anyways, um, none of you guys are that mean though, so that doesn't happen. Uh, but we, we throw this verse into many contexts out there, many, many different situations. But what Paul is going to do is he is going to ground us in the context of Romans 8. See, last week Mike taught us about suffering and he showed us that Paul said that he considers his present sufferings not worthy to be, com um, be compared to the coming glory. Right, how all of creation grows and suffers in pain like childbirth. See, I've never experienced that. I've seen it. It doesn't look fun. It looks painful. So, you know, but this is creation groaning. And then it goes on to say that we actually groan. We are groaning ourselves, are right? waiting the future glory. Right? This, is where, this is where Romans 8.28 is coming in. Right? And then right after this, right later on, right, Paul says in, in verse 35, it says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Here is the present climate. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He's describing what's going on in this time. And then he illustrates it even more with Psalm 44 right after this in verse 36. And he says, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And in the midst of all of this comes this incredible promise of God, Romans 8.28, that things are working together. Right in light of all the suffering, all the groaning, all the distress, Paul is saying, I can rejoice. Why? Right, he's not expecting to get like a new house on the end of these trials. Like, man, things aren't really working out, but I'm going to get that house eventually. Right, or that new car or the promotion. Right, no, he's expecting for God to be glorified in his life no matter the outcome. Right, he, is, he knows that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, so many of us, we place our hope and our joy in our circumstances 
right, the things that are happening from day to day, but our circumstances, these things going on in our life. Like, think about this. Think about the things that stressed you out this week. Think about the things that kind of freaked you out or, you know, weighed you down, you worried about. Those situations in your life that we care, all carried in here today. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you're having a great time and you're excited, you're stoked. You got the new car and you're stoked. Give me a ride, right? Like you got, I mean, especially if you got a Tesla, give me that ride. You know who you are. Okay. Um, whether good or bad, right? No matter what happens in our life, it will pass. It's not forever. And Paul wasn't finding his hope in his circumstances, but in the promise of God. And so what God wants to do today is he wants to ground us in the unshakable hope that no matter what we are going through, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, no matter what our circumstances may be, God knows our trials, he knows our hardships, and he knows what we're facing today, and he's saying, I'm in control. And though you may not see it or feel it, I'm working things together for the good of those who are mine and who are called by my name. And so, man, I, I want to give God praise in the good times. I mean, I do. Like, I realize all good things come from him. But this passage is saying that even when it's bad, even when bad things seem to be happening and through suffering, God is working things out. And I need to praise him all the more. And see, it's hard for us to think this way because we've been trained to idolize comfort. Right? We love comfort. We work our lives. Most of what we're doing is we're working towards living a more comfortable life. Right? We love it. We love it when our lives are, 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 are working out the way we want it. I like it when it's working out Danny's way and I'm getting my way and life is swell. Right? We've been taught that when things don't go our way and they go bad, then everything's ruined. Like, oh, but it didn't work out for me, man. Like, my life is over. And we just sow this big thing, you know, or like, you know, go out and buy a, you know, gallon of ice cream, put on your favorite movie and text your best friends. Like, life isn't fair, right? Like, this is like what we're trained to do. Like, when things go wrong, throw a pity party for yourself. Life is over. You'll make it, maybe, but it's pretty bad. We do everything we can to stay comfortable. And when things aren't going our way, when things get hard, we tend to self-medicate in one form or the other, right? Some people do it with too many glasses of wine or too many beers, right? Others do it with another form of addiction, right? Or binge watching, whatever, you know, Netflix, whatever, whatever you got going on or YouTube or, you know, playing video games to escape reality. A lot of us endlessly just scroll through whatever social media platform looking at the highlights of other people, thinking that's going to somehow, you know, free us from this moment, but it most of the time leaves us feeling worse than we started. But what if the hardships in life aren't happening so you retreat to your choice of distraction, but are actually being used to draw your attention to God and what he's doing in your life? I think some of us, we need, we need to pay attention. What if the hardships in life aren't happening so you retreat to your choice of distraction but are actually being used to draw your attention to God and what he's doing in your life? What if it is simply to get our eyes off ourselves, off our ability, off our circumstances, off of our expectations or whatever you allow to control your happiness and put our eyes back on Christ, put our eyes back on the God who has secured our eternity? See, what promises are we holding on to? See, God promises that, that in the deepest of valleys, in the highest of mountaintops, he is working things out for our ultimate good. Because check us out, good circumstances, like good, when things are going good, it's not always actually good for us. You see, good circumstances have the potential to harden us and distract us from what God wants to do in our lives. Right? It can make us self-centered, 
right? And subconsciously when things are going good, we end up living life like without God. Like when things are going really good, we kind of go into autopilot. Like things are going good, autopilot. And we live a lot of times without communion with our heavenly father. And what happens is we end up not meaning to, but we live life apart from God. And we allow self, you know, centeredness and pride to grow and take over. And, and, it, and, it, and it doesn't lead us in the, in the, in the best situation. And, and check us out, bad circumstances... A lot of the times they humble us, they make us more dependent upon God, they can teach us, or they can, they can show us more of who he is and who we are, that what's, what's truly important, bad circumstances. A lot of the times they grow our character into strong and compassionate people, and most importantly, they make us more like Jesus Christ, the suffering servant. See, good circumstances can be terrible for you, and bad circumstances can be wonderful for you. Because God's good is, is better than our good, and, and how we would get there is probably different too. God is working that out. And here's the thing we need to wrap our minds around, that God never promises that bad things won't happen to us. That is inevitable. We live in a broken world. But that those things do not have the final say because our good and gracious God is working all things together behind the scenes for good. That word, all things, that literally means all things. Or that is all circumstances, the good, the bad, the ugly. You see, it's, it's not as important to change our circumstance as it is to change our heart's posture and attitude towards it. Right? It's, it's only when we believe and meditate and live out of Romans 8.28 that we'll be able to meet the highs of life and the lowest of lows, viewing those circumstances the same way, that as we love God and are called according to his purpose, he is working them out for our ultimate good. And so who's this promise for? Who's this promise for? Right, is it, is it based on how many He Greater Than I t-shirts and NSCF t-shirts you have? Because if it is, some of you guys are, this promise is for you. You know, you're like, yes, it's mine, but it's not. Um, you know, is it based on your church attendance? Some of you guys are like, please. Some of you guys are like, no. You know, like, no, it's not. It's not, right? Praise God for that. It's not based on either of those things, but it's, 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 it's for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right, it's based on whether you've been called by Christ into salvation that produces an all-encompassing love for God. Right, this phrase, it really is just a summary statement of a true believer in Jesus. Someone who's been saved, if somebody's been saved from their sin, if they've been redeemed and renewed and given new life, if someone has experienced the all-consuming love and mercy of God, they're transformed. A newfound love for God is realized and they come to trust and live from the gospel. But it's more than just believing. It could have just said, like, those who believe in God and are called according to his purpose, but not even the demons believe. It's, it's those who love God, those who have been given a new heart. Right? Those who have been given a new heart that is able to then love God. And some of you guys are freaking out a bit. You're like, well, man, what about those moments when I'm like, I'm not loving God? Like, I don't feel like loving God. Or those weeks, like, does that promise not apply to me in those moments? Right? And, and, and the beautiful thing is, is, you know, praise God that he's, he's given us a new heart. He's also given us the righteousness of Jesus. So it's not based on our performance or if we look like we're loving God. Like, my kids love me. And when they don't act like it, I know they love me. They're not showing it. But deep down inside, every child of God loves him. They love their father. And it's that love that we're talking about. This verse applies to all believers. But see, here's the trap, right? We can compare ourselves with lives of unbelievers, right, who seems to have their lives all put together, 
You're like, hey, like, like they're like, hey, look at my life. I'm not a believer, and, I, and, and my life's good. I don't need God, right? They say these things, and we look at those things, and we believe that rhetoric, right? And we look at their lives, and according to the world's definition of good, they have it good. They have the good job and career. They've got the good marriage, the good kids, you know, the good things, house, whatever. But they don't have the good news. So when, when they lose their job, when they get replaced at work, when they don't get that promotion, when tragedy strikes and they empty out their savings, they're good. That thing that they've placed their hope in can quickly be taken away. Right? When the economy tanked in 2008, there were, there were multiple reports of CEOs of big corporations that committed suicide. Because in a moment, everything they had placed their hope in, everything that they, they worked for, their good, their joy, their hope was taken away in an instant and they had nothing left. You see, I'm assuming there were believers who lost a lot in the market crash as well. I'm assuming that there were believers who lost a lot of things. But they had to grab onto these kind of promises and go, man, I don't get what's going on here, God, but I trust you. I'm going to hold on to the promise that I know you're working this out for my good. I don't see it. I don't feel it. But I know it, it's, it's true. And they might not see it for a while. But if you ever read the Bible, the men and women of God who were given promises of God, they had to learn to grow in patience. Like, hey, Abraham, you're going to be the father of the nations. He's like, sweet, I don't got any kids. It's like, it's going to happen. Don't worry. 25 years later, his, that promised child, Isaac, was born. 25 years. I don't think, I'm hoping we don't have to wait that long for some things that he's doing in our life. But it's a long time to wait for the promise to be fulfilled. We see unbelievers with good marriages. You're like, man, look at their marriage. And like, they're not even Christians and we're fighting like cat and dogs. You know, it's like, like, but this is the thing is that sin and selfishness and pride exists in every human. And so eventually that's going to happen in that marriage and they're going to have to figure that out. And I've seen marriages in both situations dissolve and be destroyed. But because in the, in, in, in the world, right, it's, it's, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's because he's doing this. It's because she's doing that. See, in the world, life is about me. So marriage is about me. My needs, my wants, my expectations. And when my spouse doesn't live up to those, then maybe this marriage isn't for me. And so on to the next. But you see, as Christians, we're not, we should not be surprised when marriage, in our marriage, trouble strikes. We shouldn't be surprised. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. Oh, you're a sinner. That's crazy. Like, we're just two sinners saved by grace trying to love each other imperfectly, and we need God's grace to sustain us because we can't do it on our own. But we're not surprised when we hurt each other with our words. We're not trying to, but we're not surprised. We're not surprised when we let each other down. We're not surprised when we don't live up to each other's expectations because we're being made like Jesus, but we're not there yet. We have a long way to go, and we understand that. See, I'm not surprised when my selfishness leads to conflict or my, our inability to forgive quickly leads to grudges and bitterness. I realize that my marriage is not about me but about God's glory and how I can reflect Christ in the way I love and lead and serve my wife, which I fall short of more than I'd like to admit. But she understands that God is working on me and us. And through the battle of it all, God is working all that out for our good. And every time this happens, a little bit of my flesh and my pride dies. And a little bit more of Christ is revealed in me. It hurts. It's, a, it's not a painless process. I don't enjoy these moments. But it's like a life-saving surgery that involves pain. But it will save your life. It's needed. For the world who's raising their kids to the world standards. And they seem to have everything going 
for them, right? But when that precious little angel grows up and ditches their parents' vision for their life, or when they throw their life away on partying or don't do exactly what their parents think they do and they pursue different life paths and their parents are distraught, what hope do they have? Their good could be gone in a moment. But when our kids, right, when our kids don't live the perfectly planned life we have for them or, or veer off our will for their life, we're not surprised. Like we can be upset, we can mourn, we can be disappointed, but we know that our kids are little sinners. Amen? Yeah, they are, they are. Okay, I'm sorry. They are, right? They too need the loving grace and love of the Father. But we have the ear of the King of heaven and earth who's moved by the prayers of his people. So we pray for our kids. We love our kids. We teach our kids. We discipline. And when they grow up and when they leave and they make their choices against everything that we've taught them, we continue to pray. Because we know that our God is more powerful than this world. He's more powerful than Satan. He's more powerful than any force that would come up against our children. We are not distraught. We are not confused. We might be hurt, sad, and disappointed. But we have a hope in the promise that God is working behind the scenes in a way we don't understand for the good of his children. It reminds me of when uh, we went to Italy. We got to go to Italy pre-COVID. It was beautiful. I loved it. I love the people. I love the food. I love the drivers. My wife, Jamie, says that I fit right in. I like it. And, um, you know, there was, uh, we were on the street by the Coliseum and there was this painter and he was painting and I walk up and he's like doing like some splatter paint and like, you know, spray paint. I'm like, dude, you ain't Picasso. This is not art, you know? And I was like, I was about to walk away, and, but everyone's watching. I'm like, all right, there might be something good here. I'm watching this guy and he keeps going. I mean, it's just confusing. It makes no sense. I don't know where you're going with this thing, man. And then he slowly starts like using a cup and a piece of paper and a bowl. I'm like, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden I see art start to form and I see the Colosseum and the moon and the galaxy. And then this piece of art that just blows my mind. I'm like, holy smokes, that is amazing. But see, so many times, like we look at our life and we see the splatter paints and the spray and it's like, this doesn't make any sense, God. I don't get it. But the master creator and painter and artist is creating something beautiful out of our lives. Do we trust him? We don't get it in the moment. But do we realize that he's already at the end and he's saying, I've got it. We see this all throughout scripture. Um, if you guys heard of my man Joseph, right? Joseph was the youngest in his family, son of Jacob. And he was the family's favorite. Uh, and so, you know, his dad, like, loved him more than his other brothers, and it says that, and it's, I don't think it's right. But so his dad starts to, you know, give him stuff. So he, he gave his son this uh, multicolored robe, right? So, and then, like, the brothers, they're already jealous of Joseph. And they're like, man, we don't like this kid. He's getting all the love from dad. And now dad's giving him all this swag, like all this gear. Like, we didn't get any gear. Where's our stuff, right? And so they're a little upset, and to the point they're like, you know what, we really don't like this guy. Let's kill him. Like, whoa, what? It kind of got extreme. So they're trying to, they want to kill his brother. And one of the brothers are like, no, 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 no. Let's make money off him. Let's sell him into slavery. Okay, like that works. So they throw him in a pit. They sell him into slavery. He goes and ends up boarding for this guy named Potiphar. Well, the, the beautiful thing is the Bible says is that God was with him. And so he became like the number one servant of the house, overseeing everything. Well, plot twist, Potiphar had a wife who wasn't that good of a girl, okay? She's not the girl you bring home to your mama, you know what I'm saying? And uh, she uh, pretty much is trying to get Joseph to Netflix and chill, and he's like, ah, that's, that's not me. And, uh, he's, and he's like, you're married, uh, you know, that's not, that's not how I get down. And so what happens is she ends up blaming him and, and saying, hey, he's trying to sleep with me, but he's not. And then, you know, of course, Potiphar goes with the wife over Joseph, and Joseph gets thrown into prison, okay? Circumstances, not, not really good. Joseph's in prison. God gives him the ability to interpret dreams. He interprets Pharaoh's dream, gets released, and becomes number two, the second in command in all of Egypt, 
Well, another plot twist, there's a famine in the land. Everyone's going to die. But lucky thing, well, not lucky, I don't believe in luck. God gave Joseph the interpretation that allowed Egypt to have grain through the famine. And the whole world's coming to Egypt's door and going, hey, we're going to die. We need food. And so who shows up at the doorstep of Egypt? His brothers. The nation of Israel is at the doorstep of, of, of Egypt. And who's there? Who's in control of the food? Joseph. And he sees his brothers. And Joseph is then able to provide for his family, provide for the nation of Israel. And guess whose lineage is wrapped up in the nation of Israel? Oh, yeah, Jesus, right? And so Israel's carrying along the messianic seed of Jesus. And God knew that if Joseph wasn't there to provide the food, that the line of Jesus would have stopped. But, of course, God's working things out behind the scenes through all of that for the good of his people. See, this is how God works. And, and so we might be feeling like, man, I feel like I got thrown into a pit. Or I feel like I'm being falsely accused or that I'm in this prison. God is working things out in a way that we don't see for the good of his people. Do we trust him? This promise is so radical in its scope and power that it not only addresses your suffering, but it can actually swallow it up. It swallows all of that suffering up and it uses it for good. A lot of things may be against you, but not with final success because our God is sovereign and he is working. A quote by Brian Chappell says, the universe is being constrained in its course, bent in a, new in a new direction for the good of the bride of Christ. As much as our perceptions seem to deny this truth, the battles that rage, the leaders that rise, the events that occur do not thwart his agenda. History inexorably marches forward towards the triumph of the church of Jesus Christ. And he's using all things, even including the tragedies of this fallen world, which you and I will go through, by the way, to shape and reshape the world for her sake. The whole creation is being conformed to serve the purposes of the glory of Christ's church. God is working his good out in our lives. But what is this good? Right, and and, and what, can we, what can we confidently expect in the, all these things? Well, verse 29 and 30 provide the answer, which leads to our next point. God is working to make you like Christ. Verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among brethren. See, we're all becoming someone. We're all being formed into someone by our circumstances and our choices and our discipline. Growing up, I wanted to be an NBA star. Um, as you guys can see, that didn't work out too well. Uh, I know most of you guys can see the potential, but yeah, it didn't work out. And, uh, and so I grew up and I was watching Kobe Bryant because he was my guy. Like outside of Michael Jordan, I think he's the best. And I'm watching Kobe and he's amazing. I'm watching the Lakers, best basketball team ever. You don't want to debate me. I don't want to embarrass you in front of your friends, right? And so I'm like, man, these guys are great. I'm trying to become, you know, like Kobe, imitate him, all these things. Um, and around junior high-ish, maybe freshman year, like, you know, my friends kept getting taller than me. And then, honestly, there were just better people at basketball than me. And it just didn't really work out. Um, God didn't give me the height or the ability to become an NBA star. And that's fine. So instead of being on the Lakers, I'm here preaching the word to you guys. So I see that as good, right? And so um, it's all about perspective. And what Paul is saying here to the Romans is that through all of our circumstances and through the ups and downs of life, he is working for our good. Now, that definition of good comes here in verse 29. See, because that word for, if you guys want to look down or look up, um, all right, that word for 
right, is showing this connection between 28 and 29, right? The word for has the, has the same meaning as the word because, right? So we could almost read God works all these things out for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. See, these verses are the explanation of how God is working things, these things out in our life. And so verse 28, it's not meant to be like, oh man, these things are happening and somewhere off in the distance it'll all work out. No, like he's, there's an actual uh, thing that God is working out. And so Paul is saying that he's, he's working these things out that we would be conformed to the image of his son. That these things that are happening right now are actually at work to make you more like Christ. The good is conformity to Christ. The essence of this promise is that, the, that through the worst of things and the present trials, it's all working together that we'd be like Jesus. And so we have this context where Paul has been talking about for the last couple of chapters, this battle, chapter 6 and 7, this, this battle against sin, this battle against the flesh. Even earlier in chapter 8, we're talking about the battle of the spirit and the flesh and just us just waging war. Right, does, does anybody uh, battle or struggle with temptation in here? Anyone? Temptation? Yeah, that's everyone. People whose hands are down, you're busted. Yeah, that's everyone. And, uh, you know, it, it sucks. Like, I hate the flesh. I hate the war that wages within me. Like, I feel like I'm doing battle all the time with the power of the whole, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't, I don't like it when I fall into sin. I don't like it when I give in to pride or, or I don't like it when I'm constantly warring with the need to be right or falling into self-centeredness. But what Paul is saying is that even through that, God is working through our battle between the spirit and the flesh, the battle between the sin and temptation and the devil to make you more like Jesus. The very fact that the spirit is showing you sin in your life is proof that he is making you more like Christ. So why is God allowing me to struggle with this thing or why did God allow me to fall in this particular way? God is using these things in our life to put a spotlight on your heart, to put a spotlight on our hearts to show us that these things aren't good for us. Right? These, these sinful attitudes and habits will slowly eat away at you. These things are going to destroy the relationships around you. You know what sinful attitudes you're holding on to. You know what habits you're letting creep back into your life. Those things aren't good and God is using that to show us that we need to surrender those things. How could God use this conflict I'm having with my spouse for good or this tension with my coworker or your roommate or whatever, right? Like in the closest relationships to us, when we're feeling that tension, when our pride fills up, right, when we're easily offended, right, or, or we were quick to judge or, or quick to prove our point, in that moment, that situation, God is using it to show us where he wants to work, Hey, see that area that right there, that, that pride, that like you can't be wrong, that like, you know, blaming others or whatever that is, that little area, yeah, that needs to be conformed more into the image of Christ. I want to work right there. That needs to be conformed. That area of your life needs to conform more to who Jesus is. Right, these moments humble us, which help us to be like our humble king. We could choose to point the finger at others. But those uncomfortable situations, God's revealing area that he needs to do work. Areas that need to be brought into conformity with the son. And God's saying, I'm working in that battle, in that wrestling, in that struggling to make you more like Jesus. See, we, we need to pay attention to those, those, those situations in our life. Where are you struggling with selfishness? 
Where are you struggling with bitterness, with sin, with lust? What relationships are you struggling with? Because that's where God wants to do work. But will we surrender and submit to the work of the Holy Spirit? And it's not only our battle of, of the, with the flesh, but it's also in our trials and our suffering. Right? Paul said in his suffering, man, he said, I'm being led to the slaughter. I'm suffering, but praise be to God who is working these things out for my good and ultimately making me more like Christ. Now, like I said earlier, we love comfort. But comfort is the enemy of growth. Right? If the world and its messages and its propaganda can keep us idolizing and striving after comfort, right? if, if, a, if a comfortable life is our end goal, a comfortable retirement, a comfortable lifestyle, if, if that's what we're putting all of our eggs into, we will experience only little of what God has called us to, and it will stunt our growth in conformity to Jesus. See, it's the trials and the hardships of this life that God uses in his sovereign grace and goodness to make us more like him. Paul said in Romans 5, we rejoice earlier in Romans, we rejoice in suffer in our sufferings, knowing that, this, that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which has come upon you for your testing as though something strange were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. See, Jesus did not suffer so you wouldn't suffer. Jesus suffered so that when you suffer, you'll become like him. See, Jesus didn't suffer so that you wouldn't suffer, but that when you suffer, you'll become like him. And suffering will not have the final word. See, he suffered the ultimate penalty of a holy God so that you wouldn't have to suffer into eternity. The gospel never promises the best circumstances, but conformity to Jesus through those circumstances. He's using that situation at work that's stressing you out. He's using that issue at home. He's using that thing in your life that's not working out the way you wanted it to. He's using that thing that just seemed to derail your whole entire life. He's using it. He's using these things to make us more like our risen King and Messiah, Jesus Christ. Which when we become more like him, we start to see the transformative power and healing that can happen in our life and relationships. God is not always at work for our present comfort in this life, but our supreme good. Does that mean that the kids spilling the juice or the milk on the carpet for the hundredth time, does that fall into this category? I think so. Right, what about not having Wi-Fi or like slow internet connection? Does that fit in this? Maybe, maybe it does, right? What about sitting in the North Shore traffic on the weekend? Does that count? Oh yeah, that's pretty formative. That make, you know, it gives you a lot of opportunities to grow in patience. Uh, what about the, the neighborhood rooster that wakes you up before your alarm? Yeah, anybody else? Yeah, we all got those. Um, do I wake up like, oh man, like, okay, God's trying to make me more like Jesus. Like, I, I, I don't. I want to get there. You know, I mean, but I, I want to start looking at life this way. What about losing your job? What about losing a loved one? What about being told that you're sick? Or the marriages that are on the rocks right now? See, we all have circumstances that are tough. And for some, 
If our hope was supposed to be based on our circumstances, we don't have much cause for hope right now. But what this passage is saying is that our hope is not based on circumstances, but rather in God promising to work in and through this and through it for our ultimate good and his glory in our life. Paul says in Philippians, he wanted to know Christ, that I may know him. He wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, that he may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is how God is, is working in our lives to make us more like Jesus. See, one circumstance that we all share right now um, is called COVID-19 and the vaccine and all of it, right? And, and the whole COVID-19 climate, right? Sicknesses, deaths, divisiveness, fake news, wherever you stand and all of that. And, 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 no, and no matter where you are, their circumstances are bad. They're, they're, we, they're not good. Right, and if you're a believer in here, have, my question is, have you asked yourself in the midst of this trial, how is God wanting to make me more like Jesus through this? How has my attitude been? How, what is my heart posture toward all this COVID and vaccine stuff? Do I see God making me more like Jesus through it? And how I talk to others about it? And how I view other people and how I treat other people. If you're anti-vaccination, how is God making you more like Jesus in your attitudes towards those who are pro-vaccination? If you're pro-vaccination, how is God making you more like Jesus in your attitude towards those who are anti-vaccination? See, the church has an amazing opportunity right now as the rest of the world continues to divide, continues to point fingers, continues to have negative and hateful attitudes towards those on opposing views. The church gets to stand up and show and demonstrate the love of Christ and the unity the gospel produces amongst the diverse people. We know the vaccine is not the savior and we know that the anti-vaccination message is not the good news. Only Jesus Christ, the son of God is. And at this present moment, God is wanting to use this cultural climate, these inconveniences, these trials to make us more like Jesus in the way that we reflect him to the world. If you view the other side as your enemy, Jesus said, love your enemies. If you view the other side as your neighbor, Jesus said, love your neighbors. And if, you, if they're in this room and they're your brother and sister in Christ, Jesus says, this is how the world will know you belong to me, by how you love one another. Starting tomorrow, a vaccine passport will be required to enter restaurants, bars, and gyms in Oahu or Hawaii. I don't know. How is our attitude towards that? Are we yelling, kicking, and screaming? Believe me, I'm not a fan of forced mandates or passports. I don't agree with it. But how do we respond to inconvenience? How do we respond to trials and hardships as followers of Christ, as the called, as the people of God? Do we see that even in this, for the believer, God is working it out for your good and through it desiring to make you more like Jesus? You see, God has a master design or a form, and it's his son. And every circumstance, all things are designed to shape, melt, mold, and contour us into his master design, Christ. He is pouring us into the mold of Christ. We are being remade from the inside out and from the depths. In verse 29, it says that, that Jesus is going to be the for, firstborn amongst many brethren. Right? That he is the firstborn. That, that he has been glorified and we are waiting to be glorified with him. But he was the first. He was the first. But see, we're not only adopted into God's family as brothers and sisters. Right? But we actually are getting his family resemblance. We're becoming more like Jesus. 
Suffering and hardship is inevitable in our life, and it is one of the vehicles in which our good and gracious God makes us more like Jesus. So let's not be afraid of it. Let's not retreat away from it, but step into it with our eyes on Christ, asking him for the strength to walk through it and the faith to hold on to this eternal promise of God. Our hope is not based on circumstances, but on the promises of our King. Because if our joy and our hope is based on circumstances, see, the life of Christ in the Bible wouldn't be the best example. Or let's just use them as, a, as an example. Check this out. The Son of God is going to come from heaven to earth, all right? So people are preparing. Hey, God's coming to earth. Okay, let's prepare. What do we have for him? Oh, the motels are full? Okay, what do we have left? A, a stable? Okay, we'll work with that. What, what does he have to sleep in? Oh, a, a feeding trough. Okay, yeah, it's just the Son of God. All right, let's just move on. Okay, um, we need to welcome him. Who are we going to bring to the welcoming of the Son of God on, onto earth? Who would you get? Oh, shepherds. Cool, yeah, like lowest people in society. All right, yeah, cool, yeah, just king of king, lord of lords, no big deal. Let's just move on, right? Oh, people are trying to kill him. We need to flee. Yeah, King Herod. Yeah, he's trying to, he's killing all the firstborn. We got to go. Okay, see, these are the circumstances that Jesus was born into. His life, it didn't get much better. The, the king of kings came down and he spent most of his life as a working man in poverty. Not bad, but he's the son of God. These are his circumstances. And when he started his ministry, most people didn't believe on him. And the ones who did deserted him. And then he was betrayed and eventually murdered. Okay, so, but there are people who will tell you today that if you just believe in the gospel, everything's going to work out for you. Life will be easy. People will like you. Life won't be hard. And what they're saying is that if you believe in the gospel, you'll be nothing like Jesus. Our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now are holding on to this promise tighter than most of us probably know. As they're running and they're hiding for their lives desiring to live for Jesus and worship him. Some have stayed on purpose to continue to proclaim, to continue to take care of the people of God over there. And they are looking at their situations and their circumstances, and they have to be holding on to this promise. God, we don't see it, we don't feel it, but we know that somehow you're working this out together for our good and your glory, Lord, and we trust you. We need to be praying for them. Some of our, some of our circumstances today are honestly great. You guys came into church, you're like, man, life's great. Like, Danny, you're depressing us. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, it's like you know, things are going great for you today. And praise God for that. Praise God. All good, good and perfect gifts come from the Heavenly Father. Like, I get that. Like, that's great. But what I want to do today is I want to put a solid rock under our feet that when the trials do come, when disaster does come knocking, we will remember to go back to this passage, back to this promise, and realize that God is working things together for our good. He did it on the cross. He's doing it in the present. And there's more to come in the future. Right? And we have this solid rock of this promise of God to stand on as we march forward as the people of God. Which leads us to our last point. God worked this promise out in the gospel. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among brethren. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. On the night before Jesus' crucifixion, he prayed this to the Father in John 17. He said, Father, glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Sanctify them in, your tr in the truth. Your word is truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word. I love this passage because... 
it, it, I feel it goes right in line with Romans 8. Like they're kind of parallel, right? So that word foreknew, right? It's like that God, when, when, we know God's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows past, present, future. So it's not just like, oh, he foreknew. You know, no, when you see the word God knows somebody in the Bible, it means that he has set his love upon that person. There is a personal love, a personal interest relationship that's happened. And so when it says that God foreknew us, it means he foreloved us. Right, and that word predestined, right, means, means decided upon beforehand. So God decided upon beforehand in love that we would be conformed to the image of his son. Jesus then says, Jesus says sanctify, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Right, that word sanctify, it means to be made holy. Right, and we, we learned from Mike the other week, what is sanctification? Becoming more like Jesus being made holy. And so Jesus is literally saying, sanctify them, make them holy, make them like me, conform them into my image. Right, Jesus is doing this on the night before he's crucified. He's praying these things. And verse 20 says, man, it's not just for these disciples, but for anyone who believes on me, that Christ, that God is doing that in our life. In God's foreknowledge, he predestined us to become like Christ. And those who belong to him, God has chosen you to be a recipient of his good working in all the circumstances in your life to become like Jesus, to be justified, and ultimately glorified. Do you see Romans 8, 28 and 30 being a summary statement of the gospel? The same night that Jesus was making this prayer, Judas's betrayal was underway. Men were coming to arrest him and put him on a cross. See, there were people that didn't like Jesus' message because his light was uncovering their darkness. But you see, God was working that out because Jesus needed to go to the cross. Right, Judas was going to betray Jesus. God knew that. And knowing the wicked heart of men will always serve themselves, God lifted the common grace from them and their evil nature took them on their natural path to serve themselves and betray the Messiah. None of the disciples understood what was going on. How could this be good? They're taking away my Messiah. They're taking away my Savior. They're taking away my teacher. Why can't we fight Jesus? This isn't good. And the very same moment, the disciples fled and deserted Jesus, and he was taken, and nothing seemed to be working out for good. Jesus was taken before the high council. He was accused, he was mocked, he was spit on, he was beaten, and he took our shame for us. These things aren't good. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. Why is this happening? He was given a crown of thorns. He was given a cross to carry. He did it because of love. He did it for the love of the Father and the love of his people. And the Bible said he willingly laid down his life. But, but this is horrible. It's the son of God. Beaten, mocked, nailed to a cross. What good can come from this? The disciples must have been confused, bewildered. What in the world is happening? This isn't how it's supposed to be. But they didn't know that, that it's through Jesus' suffering that God was going to accomplish the greatest good this world has ever seen. You see, when everything seemed to be going wrong, God was at work to make things right. God was in the process of making a way for sinners like you and me to be saved, redeemed, and given eternal hope with God in heaven. See, the Bible says that every single one of us has betrayed Jesus like Judas. We've denied him like Peter. We've all sinned. We've all rebelled. And the, the penalty of that sin is death and an eternity apart from God. And God knew that there was no way back to him in our own righteousness and that our sin separated us. Something needed to happen. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, down to live the life we, didn't, we could not live and suffered in our place, died in our place, and rose again from the dead. And the Bible says that anyone who trusts in Christ turns from their sin and makes him Lord of their life 
He says, I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to live God's way. I believe you. I want you. I want forgiveness of my sins. I want to live for you. Anyone who does that will be saved. See, it has always been God's plan for Jesus to go to the cross. Not because he wanted his son to suffer for suffering's sake. Because he wanted to display the greatest good and most incomprehensible love that, that would lay itself down for the love and the good of mankind. See, the greatest act of evil, the crucifixion of the Son of God, accomplished the greatest good, the salvation of all those who call upon Jesus. The cross has made a way for us to be forgiven. That we've been justified, declared innocent. That we've been glorified. I love it because God is eternal, so he actually already sees us glorified. We're actually, that hasn't happened yet. But God sees it. He sees the end, and he says, trust me. That's what he wants to show us today. Will we trust him? Will we surrender every single situation? So you may have came here at the end of your rope, not thinking, man, how could this work out for good? How could my situation possibly work out for good? And you're seeking some kind of relief or comfort. You may have come here because you're in such a low place, you feel like there's no hope. But I want to illustrate for you the fact that you're here today, that you're hearing the good news of Jesus, that you're hearing of the good promises of God is proof that God is working things out for your good in, in your life. But if you've been holding on to things and looking for other things to be your savior and they've been failing you, God is showing you, yeah, because you need me. He's using these things to bring you to the end of yourself so you can understand the power and the peace that comes with putting your trust in Jesus. No matter how far you feel, no matter how down you are, no matter how bad you mess up, the cross of Jesus Christ, God has taken care of all sin, all suffering, and all consequences. He has taken care of it all, and he's given you access to an all-forgiving, all-loving, and gracious God where nothing's able to separate you from his love. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, no matter how bleak nor scary it might feel right now, God is here, and he is with you. He is for you. And though you may not see it next week, you may not feel it tomorrow, you may not even see it in a couple months, we can have a assurance that the God of Scripture who has never let his people down is not going to start with you. I know some of us are dealing with incredible suffering right now and very difficult pain. Some of us carry this around and, and I, I, I only understand to a degree but our God understands this fully and he put this promise in Scripture for us. for you, that somehow his perfect will and his, his good and loving plans towards you are working things together for your ultimate good, whether that's here or in eternity with him. God is at work. Do we trust him? Do we trust him?